We are in Hebrews chapter 10, going to start at verse 19. If you want to take your Bibles and turn there, the words will be on the screen, of course. Before we get started, let's have a word of prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, the cross is so dear to us. We rejoice in the empty cross because you not only died for our sins, carrying them to the grave, but you rose again on that third day. And after being with us for a while, you ascended on high to be with the Father. Lord, through your resurrection, we have the promise of eternal life, a life in heaven with you, a life with no more sin, pain, sorrow, grief, forevermore. Thank you for what you've done for us, Father, and may you give us a new appreciation each day for your love for us and your sacrifice. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's read our scriptures. Having therefore, brothers, boldness to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the way he dedicated for us a new and living way through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having a great priest over God's house. Let us draw near with a true heart and fullness of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and having our body washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good works. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the custom of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of truth, there remains no more a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and a fierceness of fire which will devour the adversaries. A man who disregards Moses' law dies without compassion on the word of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think he will be judged worthy of who has trodden under the foot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant with which he was sanctified an unholy thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance belongs to me, says the Lord. I will repay again. The Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But remember the former days in which you were enlightened. You endured a great struggle with suffering, partly being exposed to both reproaches and oppressions, and partly becoming partakers with those who were treated so. For you had both compassion on me and my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an enduring one in the heavens. Therefore, don't throw away your boldness, which has great reward. For you need endurance, so that having done the will of God, you may receive the promise. In a very little while, he who comes will come and will not wait. But the righteous will live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure with him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the saving of the soul. 
May God grant us blessing upon His Word. We're continuing on in our study in Hebrews. And to review our study through the book of Hebrews, we've used the following words to describe the direction many take in their walk with God. Additionally, I've related these words and the path to driving a vehicle down a hill or mountain. We start off by drifting. Often our salvation experience is a tremendous event in our life, and hopefully it was for you. We realize we're struggling under a burden, and through the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, we can learn that our burden is the weight of sin in our lives. We struggle and strive to free ourselves from the weight, but we cannot through our own strength or actions. The more we struggle, the more we continue in our sin. Then we learn that Jesus came to earth, took our sins upon himself, carried those sins to the grave, and left them there. All that is required is to admit our sin and believe in his substitutionary death on our behalf. This is a time of great joy and relief, and we want all to know we we want to know all we can about our Savior and Lord. But then the cares of life continue, and Christ gets pushed aside. It is not a willful act, this pushing aside of Christ, but rather one where the cares of life crowd in and crowd Him out, and we slowly drift away from the Savior we love. When we drift away, we drift out from under the umbrella of His love and protection. We place ourselves under direct attack from the enemy. This enemy seeks to destroy us. He plants thoughts of doubt within us, and we begin to question the foundations of our faith in Christ. Still, this is not a willful departure, a leaving of the way of Christ, but a seemingly honest examination of our faith. And it is good to consider the Scripture and to think and to ask God to give us enlightenment. However, in that act of doubt and questioning, we begin to put our reasoning and intellect upon the wisdom of Christ. The slope downward continues with becoming dull to the Word of God. Our drifting from regular study of God's Word and doubting what we do read makes us dull to what we hear from God. It's as if we have peanut butter in our ears. God is speaking, but the message is muted and indistinct. Drifting, doubting, and becoming dull leads us to despise the Word of God. Of course, we don't admit that we hold these traits. We may not recognize one of the purposes of, of God's Word and this Scripture and the Holy Spirit is to use it to examine our walk with Him and where we are in that walk. We continue to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. And we say that He is our Savior and Lord, but too often our actions speak louder than our words. Our despise of God's Word is evident in our refusal to read His Word. The songs of faith that once moved us to elation and contrition are replaced with the world's music that supports and encourages our selfish desires. Church attendance becomes sporadic and perfunctory at best, 
and sometimes completely abandoned at worst. God, in the words he has given the scribe in Hebrews, has presented a very logical reasoning for remaining true to Jesus Christ. He has shown that Jesus is greater than the angels. He has shown that Jesus is greater than Moses or the law. He has shown that he is the great priest forevermore, that never again do we need others to rise up, for Jesus made that final sacrifice. He is the great eternal priest. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has torn down the curtain that separated man from the most holy place. The audience that this book was addressed to, the Hebrew Christians, knew well that tradition We talked last week about the tabernacle with the most holy of holies, the most holy place that was separated by a great curtain. Even when the temple was built in Jerusalem, there was a great curtain that separated the holies from the most holy place. And when Jesus died, that curtain was rent from top to bottom. And we now can enter into that holiest of places because of Jesus' death and resurrection. God has presented an if-then, or more accurately, a since-then scenario. Since Christ is greater and has bridged that gap between us and God when nothing else could, then we should enter with confidence. We can enter with confidence. Before, if any man came before God or had seen God, he would die. It was too great a thing. It's even talked about in Genesis, if anyone touched the mountain of God, it was a fearful thing and they could die. But now we have the confidence to be able to enter into God's presence, not by anything we have done, not by our works or our faith or our righteousness, but because of Jesus Christ who took our sins upon himself, who died on the cross, taking our sins to the grave, and thus opening up the holiest of places to us. It's a that if-then, that since-then scenario. Since Christ did all that, then we should have confidence to enter into the presence of God. We do not need to cower before God because of our sins. The Bible tells us that when we accept Christ's atoning work on our behalf, our sins are as far as the east is from the west, that God remembers them no more. And of course, we can think, you may logically jump, well, how can God forget them? God knows everything, remembers everything. Uh, So how could God forget them? And the real intent of the Scripture there, the real meaning of the Hebrew is that he holds them against us no longer. As if, as, as those times that you have forgiven somebody who did a wrong to you, and you forgave them, and you don't hold it against them anymore, so it is with God. He has forgiven our sins, and so that is out of his mind. He holds them against them. And so we can come to him in confidence, knowing that he is a high priest who 
understands our life and, and has been there for us and, and knows the challenges we go through. He is a compassionate high priest and we can go into his presence with confidence. We can encourage our brothers, sisters, family, and friends to also embrace this life in Jesus Christ. This encouragement is fivefold in his instruction. Jesus says, let us draw near to God. In other words, don't drift. Continue to draw near to Him. Let us hold unswervingly to our blessed hope. Just grasping it, understanding it, not because, again, of our works, but because of His work. We shouldn't doubt what He says is true. Let us challenge each other to be disciples. We need that one-on-one encouragement. We need that uh, admonishment, that exhortation to stay in the Word, to not become dull by studying His Word, by listening, by hearing, by applying. He says, let us embrace corporate worship, where He said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves to others. That's where the word despise comes in. Despise is not so much a hatred of Jesus Christ as it is not wanting anything to do with the things of Christ. We can come to the place in our life where we don't want to read His Word. We can come to the place in our life where we don't want to gather in worship. We can come to the place in our life where we don't listen to the songs of faith. And it is a, a despising of not wanting anything to do with God. And we don't say it that way. We don't talk that way. And we don't make a conscious uh, admission or confession to that regard. We just quit doing it. We just quit showing up. We just quit bothering to come to church, we quit bothering to read His Word. And one reason we don't want that is because of that Scripture says, Thy Word is a light unto my feet and a light unto my path. We are taught that His Word illuminates our sin and convicts us. We don't want to be convicted. We want to continue on in our way. And so the easiest way to not uh, be convicted is don't read what convicts us. Don't spend time around God. Don't spend time with other Christians because uh, their example should remind us of failures in our life. Thankfully, we have the forgiveness of God ongoing. The Apostle John wrote, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He not only forgives, He cleanses, and that's a powerful thing. And He has done that for all the sins you will ever commit from now until the time your body ceases. And so often in my habit, because of that truth, of God's Word, that He has forgiven my sins. I don't say, Lord, forgive me for X. 
because he has forgiven me. It is covered by his blood. So I say, Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of my sin that you have already covered by your blood. And that's a powerful section in, in this chapter that we just read, that if we stray from that truth, there is no other sacrifice. If we, in, in good-natured sense, try to say, well, God can't forgive me. I've, I've sinned too grievously. I've committed things that He could never forgive. If we take that tact, we're saying that Christ's sacrificial death on the cross was insufficient. We're saying that Jesus failed. We're saying that what He did was not enough, that I'm too bad, that I'm worse than what He died on the cross for. We would never again verbalize those, those things, but those type of sayings, but if we live in such a way that we think that or we utter that, that Jesus won't forgive me, then we, in effect, would say, God, Jesus, you've got to get back on that cross. What you did the first time wasn't good enough. You're going to have to go through that again. And we would never want Christ to endure what he endured on the cross. But we can say that through our actions. And so we need to understand that his work was sufficient that His work covered all of our past sins, current sins, and future sins. And so we can come into His presence, not begging and pleading for forgiveness, but that confession, John says, if we confess our sins. That means we know we have them. We know that Jesus has died for them. Confession means agreement. God, I agree with you that this in my life is against your will, that this is a sin. And God, I acknowledge, I accept that you have paid the price for that sin. And so I repent of it. And I turn from it. Lord, help me to turn from it. What Christ did on the cross is sufficient. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other way to be saved. Having lost the ability to hear and respond to the Word of God, the Scripture then moves from a logical argument to an emotional argument. The believer is enjoined to remember the joy and dedication that they once felt when they came to know the Lord. I hope that you're salvation experience was that kind of an experience. I hope it was a burden being lifted. I hope that you felt different. We don't live by feelings. We shouldn't. But there is feeling involved in worshiping God. We are emotional creatures. And so there is that component to our salvation. And so the, the, God through Hebrews reminds us of that joy that we experienced, that knowledge that we were covered by the blood of the Lamb, that we were free to enter into His kingdom. It is hope that remembering the joy in Christ that we once felt is enough 
to be a spark to reignite the life of faith. The final appeal in chapter 10 of Hebrews is that emotional appeal to remain true to the hope initially embraced and to not throw all the sacrifice and joy away. You have sacrificed for your Lord. You have lived for Him. You have given towards Him. And if you now come to the place that you say, well, what was it for? It was all for naught. You're throwing away your efforts. You're throwing away the good in your life. It is unfortunate that we rarely see the effect of the good we have done in life. We give our offering, and some of that offering goes around the world, literally, to help other people. We don't see that. We take it in faith. Soon coming up, we're going to be doing the uh, shoe boxes for Christmas. The boxes have been ordered. They have arrived. We'll be asking you to fill them. Those will go to children around the world. And we won't see their faces. We won't see the joy as they open this box and experience those items in there, toys, pencils, other good things. But we can know that we have done what our Savior called us to do. We have acted in good faith and that He will bless that and touch the lives of those who receive them. So even though we may not see the result of our life for Christ, we can rest in faith in Him that He takes that that we give Him and multiplies it. Just like the boy with the five loaves, his mother packed him a lunch, sent him. He never expected that to happen. But Jesus took that multiplied it and fed everybody. Jesus takes your gifts, your efforts, and multiplies it. And and unfortunately, we don't get to see that on this side of glory. There's a great song that I love. You may remember it by Ray Boltz called Thank You. And the story talks about that day that a person goes to be with the Lord. And they're walking the streets of gold and looking at the crystal sea and someone comes up and says, thank you, you were my Sunday school teacher. And every Sunday you would say a prayer and one day I asked Jesus into my heart, so thank you for that sacrifice of teaching each and every Sunday. Then another one walks up and says, you don't know me, you don't know who I am. But one day a missionary came to your church and that missionary's stories of the need touched your hearts and you gave graciously and sacrificially and that money was used so that I might know who Jesus Christ is. Thank you for giving to the Lord. And the song finishes that one by one they came as far as the eye could see each life somehow touched by your generosity. We don't get to see everything that our work for Christ does, but we need to hold firm and hope and faith that He does take it and multiply it. It is not for naught. And on that day that we cross the Jordan into heaven 
as the old song talks about, I believe we'll be blessed by having people come up to us and saying, thank you for giving to the Lord. It is, the end of chapter 10 is an appeal to stay firm to the end. Chapter 10 leads into chapter 11, often called the roll call of faith. And as you read, it talks about believer after believer who trusted in God, who served Him, who lived for Him. And those Old Testament people that lived a righteous life were looking ahead to the cross. They did not at that moment receive the benefit of their righteous life as in receiving eternal life. But when Jesus came and died on the cross, they received their reward. And Paul writes in Galatians that when He descended, He took host, took the captive's host and led them in His train so that they then went to heaven. They received their reward. They had to wait a long time, but they received their reward of heaven when Jesus atoned for their sin. So we have that roll call of faith encouraging us to have faith in God and to not lose it. We are told in Hebrews 11.6, For without faith it is impossible to please God, and anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. The Apostle John also wrote, We love Him because He first loved us. But there is a reward for serving Him as we stay true to the end. So chapter 11 encourages us through the example of those who have gone before to continue in that life of faith. So the reason to embrace Christ had been presented logically that He is greater than the angels and Moses than the priest. The emotion to embrace Christ has been recounted, but the bottom line is faith. Campus Crusade for Christ uses a, a diagram and it pictures our life in three categories. We are people of faith, we are people of fact, and we are people of feeling. The challenge in life is to get those three in the right order. Too often we live by feeling, what feels right, what feels good to us. And not I don't necessarily mean a bad, lustful kind of feel, but just in, it feels good to do good, so we do that. There is also, and it's wise, we need to do this to live by fact. We need to know the facts. And the book of Hebrews has presented the facts. But finally, it boils down to living by faith. Because God calls us to do things that aren't going to feel right, that all the facts say are wrong, but His Word says it's true. And so as we get these in order, we want to be sure that faith is the predominant driver in our life. Facts should come next. Facts of what the words say. Knowing His Word. Knowing what is true. In this day where we are challenged with so much that is wrong in our world, we can 
wonder, how on earth can I understand? How on earth can I counter what is out there? And it's more than we can, we can absorb and learn how to do. One of the most effective ways, and I believe the most effective way, is to know the truth. If you know the truth, then you're going to know when something is not the truth. If you know what God says, then you're going to know when something is said that is contrary to God. And so if you will spend your time reading, studying, praying, getting to know God, learning to hear His voice, and knowing what truth is, then when the challenges of life come that encourage us to go astray, you'll know that's not God's will. And you'll know Him so well, you don't have to ask, Father, what would you have me to do? Because you're going to know what His way is. Christian, the question comes is, where are you on this path? Is your life one that is ascending to a more fulfilling and capable walk with God? Or are you on the descent? Have you drifted away? Are you embracing doubts? Have you come dull and obtuse to the Word that it doesn't have much effect anymore? Have you come to a place in your life where there's not joy in His Word? You don't want to read it. You don't want to hear the songs of faith. You don't want to be with God's people. Those are serious signs, and that's what the book of Hebrews is warning us about. And of course, the way to stop it is at the drift. It's easiest to stop it early. It's harder once we get down that. So where are you? Are you drifting and doubting? Have you become dull to God's voice and wisdom? Do you find yourself despising His illumination into your soul? that reveals your sinful, selfish nature. The way back to God is the way that you first found Him. That old song, The Way of the Cross, leads home. Jesus hasn't moved. His cross is the same place it always was. We're the ones who drift away And like the father of the prodigal son, our heavenly father is standing at the head of the road watching for us to return, waiting for us, wanting us to come back into the fold. And when we do realize our failures and come back to him, he doesn't chastise. He doesn't criticize. He's ready to throw a robe on your back, to put a ring on your hand, And to have a feast and say, my child has come home. You don't need a prepared speech like the prodigal son prepared. You only need to return to the Father. He knows your heart. And He'll respond in love. There's room at the cross for you. There's room to come back to the cross. That's our closing hymn. I ask that you stand with me. It needs to be a time of meditation. Sometimes we need 
to be quiet, to not sing, to bow our heads in prayer. If the Holy Spirit is touching your heart, if you're feeling some conviction, if you're feeling uh, a, a, a voice speaking to you, perhaps it's something that you've not confessed and received His forgiveness for. Perhaps it's a way that you know you're going that is contrary to what God would have you to do. Perhaps you know that you've started turning your back on Him and His Word. There's room at the cross for you. Let's sing.